Good morning, Keystone. Uh, it's kind of hard to believe we're only two weeks away from Christmas. You got your Christmas shopping finished up yet? Sorry, I haven't started mine yet. So I think that's one of the curses of Amazon having two-day delivery is I think I can wait till last minute to do any Christmas shopping. Uh, we are doing an Advent series uh, looking at the latter part of Zechariah and his visions of a coming king and, and who this king is going to be and what he'll be like and what he'll do for his people. And so if you want to open up to Zechariah chapter 10 this morning, uh, that's where we're going to be at this morning mainly, although we'll reference chapter 11 as well. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, if I were to ask you uh, who growing up was one of your favorite like teachers or uh, bosses or coaches or maybe aunts or uncles, or kind of any other person who's kind of an authority figure growing up. Uh, I would guess you can immediately think of some people who were your favorites. And I would also guess that the reason they were your favorites is because you knew that they cared for you. That there was something they did, there, there was something they communicated over and over that you knew these people cared for you. And if I asked you on the flip side, hey, who was your least favorite teacher uh, or boss, or coach, or aunt, or uncle. It'd be someone who could, would look at and think, they, they really didn't care about me at all. Uh, as, I, as I look back to my time in high school, I think what's interesting is uh, one of, actually not one of, my least favorite teacher my freshman year ended up being my favorite teacher my senior year. Uh, and I won't say who it was because uh, there's a chance you would recognize the name. Uh, but, but what changed in those four years where someone who was my least favorite went to being my favorite? What changed was I realized over those four years, this person actually cares about me. This person cares about my life, who I am, what's happening in my life. And so they went from being one of the least favorite teachers to being my favorite teacher in the end because they demonstrated over and over again that they actually cared about me and my life. I think when it comes to leaders and people in authority, we are constantly evaluating and asking, do they really care for me? Do they really care about me? Do they really care about my life? Do they really care about the details of my life? What's happening in my life? And it's also one of the questions I would say we're over and over and over asking about God, whether consciously or subconsciously, especially when life gets difficult. Asking, does, does he care about me? Does he really care about the details of my life? What's happening in my life? What's going on in my life? And one of the metaphors or images that we're given throughout the Bible is meant to convince us of God's care for us. It's the image of God as a shepherd and us as his sheep. And this is the image that God picks up on as well in Zechariah 10 through 11 to talk about what this coming king will be like, who he's going to send. And so the, the big idea this morning as we look at this passage is simply God has given us a king who cares deeply for us. As we said last week, there's kind of this abrupt shift in the book of Zechariah where in the first eight chapters, he's dealing with kind of present concerns for the Israelites. And then in chapters 9 through 14, he looks out to speak about God's coming king and the kingdom he will bring. And last week we looked at chapter 9 and talked about how this king will be a warrior king who fights for his people. And this week as we look at mainly chapter 10 but also 11, we see he's going to be a shepherd king who cares for his people. 
This theme or metaphor of God as a shepherd and us as his sheep shows up fairly early in the Bible, and it shows up fairly often in the Bible. And so the the first place we come across it is in uh, Genesis 48. As Jacob is speaking a blessing over his son Joseph, he says to him, The God before whom my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day. It's a metaphor we're probably most familiar with based on Psalm 23, a psalm that we probably read and maybe even memorized as young kids, where David says, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And it's a theme that God then picks up on to speak about what this coming king this king who's going to come in the line of David will be like, both in Jeremiah 23 and then Ezekiel 34. And so in Ezekiel 34, verses 22 through 23, he says, I will rescue my flock. They shall no longer be a prey. And I will judge between sheep and sheep. And I will set over them one shepherd, my servant David. And he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. It's against this backdrop that Zechariah also picks up on this theme as God as a shepherd and his coming king as a shepherd in chapters 10 and then also in chapter 11. And so let's pray and then we're going to read chapters 10 verses 1 through 12. Father, we look to you this morning coming from all sorts of different circumstances in this past week and yet all gathering together both because we want to worship and exalt you and because we want to hear from you. And so we pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would speak to us this morning. You would encourage us. You would build us up. You would convict us where necessary. You draw us to repentance. God, that you do all the things that only you can do through your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Starting in Zechariah 10, verse 1. This is what God says. Ask rain from the Lord in the season of the spring rain, from the Lord who makes the storm clouds, and he will give them showers of rain to everyone the vegetation in the field. For the household gods utter nonsense, and the diviners see lies. They tell false dreams and give empty consolation. Therefore the people wander like sheep, They are afflicted for a lack of a shepherd. My anger is hot against the shepherds, and I will punish the leaders. For the Lord of hosts cares for his flock, the house of Judah, and will make them like his majestic steed in battle. From him shall come the cornerstone, and from him the tent peg, from him the battle bow, from him every ruler, all of them together. They shall be like mighty men in battle, trampling the foe in the mud of the streets." They shall fight because the Lord is with them, and they shall put to shame the riders on horses. I will strengthen the house of Judah, and I will save the house of Joseph. I will bring them back because I have compassion on them, and they shall be as though I had not rejected them. For I am the Lord their God, and I will answer them. Then Ephraim shall become like a mighty warrior, and their hearts shall be glad as with wine. Their children shall see it and be glad. Their hearts shall rejoice in the Lord. I will whistle for them and gather them in, for I have redeemed them. 
and they shall be as many as they were before. Though I scatter them among the nations, yet in far countries they shall remember me, and with their children they shall live and return. I will bring them home from the land of Egypt and gather them from Assyria, and I will bring them to the land of Gilead and to Lebanon till there's no room for them. He shall pass through the sea of troubles and strike down the waves of the sea, and all the depths of the Nile shall be dried up. The pride of Assyria shall be laid low, and the scepter of Egypt shall depart. I will make them strong in the Lord, and they shall walk in his name, declares the Lord. The, the first thing that we need to see about God speaking of himself and his king as a as shepherd is what it says about us and our condition. That we are prone to wonder like sheep. If God is a shepherd, then, then we are like sheep who are prone to wander and go astray and get lost. In, in verses 1 through 2, we, we get this image of a people who rather than seeking God to meet their needs and take care of them, instead turn to false gods in order to take care of them. God says, hey, I will provide rain for you. Just ask me and I'll take care of you and I'll provide rain for you. Stop turning to these other false gods. I mean, you think about rain in this time and it's the most basic necessity for the Israelites. If it doesn't rain, crops don't grow. And if crops don't grow, the economy starts to fall apart very, very quickly. And so when rain was lacking, there's this constant temptation to turn away from God and turn instead to false gods who would promise to bring rain. You think about that, that's the height of foolishness. To turn from the God who created everything, who can provide rain, and instead worship these objects of metal and wood. And it's the same type of foolishness that continues to lurk in our hearts as a result of sin. Where we look outside of God for someone or something else to meet our needs, and where our hearts are constantly prone to love and desire and pursue things more than God. We, we are like sheep, prone to go astray, prone to wonder, prone to be lost. This is why Isaiah 53, 6 can speak of us and say, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. So that image of sheep is that they wonder, they get lost, they leave the shepherd who cares for them. And the Bible says the exact same thing is true of us today. Now, I, I don't have sheep in my household, uh, and so I'm not familiar with kind of what they do and how they wonder and get lost. Uh, but we do have a little dog in our household that's very prone to wonder and run away. We've got this little beagle Sharpe mixture dog. And so she's about uh, one foot tall, maybe, two feet long. Uh, and she will, as soon as she gets the opportunity to, bolt out the door and run away. Uh, it's happened multiple times, uh, probably at least 10 times. Uh, she's got a reputation of when we leave and leave her with someone else to run away. Uh, and so it's almost guaranteed that she will when we leave her behind. But, but I can remember one time where we had some students over to our house from the youth group, uh, and we were doing something at our house, and as they were leaving, uh, the door happened to get left open at one point, and our little dog saw the opportunity and bolted out that front door, running straight towards the busy back road that we live along, running right alongside of it, then turning and going in our backyard where she kicked up a rabbit 
So she, she chased the rabbit into our neighbor's yard, ran around the neighbor's yard, came back up front, and kind of did this loop multiple times as myself and multiple students are running behind her, trying to chase her, get her, and bring her back. Now, I can look at my dog in that instance and think how foolish she is, how ridiculous she is. You run from the safety and security of this house, and you almost get killed along this road that all these cars are driving by. And yet, the same type of foolishness lacks it, or lurks in our own hearts as we run from God, running to false gods, thinking that they can supply us with what only he can supply us with. F- Philip Ke- Keller wrote a book about uh, sheep. He was a shepherd, and he wrote a famous book on Psalm 23, and he says, it's no accident that God has chosen to call us sheep. The behavior of sheep and human beings is similar in many ways. Our mass mind, or mob instincts, our fears and timidity, our stubbornness and stupidity, our perverse habits are all parallels of profound importance. Just as sheep are meant to look to a shepherd to provide all they need, so also we're meant to look to God to provide all we need, and yet we're so prone to wander away and get lost. Christmas reminds us of our condition apart from Christ, that we are lost and hopeless like sheep who've wandered away. And yet Christmas also reminds us it was always God's plan to send a shepherd who would pursue and chase after and bring his sheep back to him. Because we see the shepherd king will pursue his people. This is one of the amazing truths that's written throughout the Bible. And I think we forget often how amazing this is. That though we've wandered Though we've turned from God and run and become lost, God doesn't stand back, fold his arms, and say, okay, that's your choice. You deal with it and see if you can find your way back. But instead, he runs after, pursues, chases after those who are lost and wandering to bring them back to himself. It's a truth that was displayed in the exile. And so God says in these verses to the people he's scattered into exile, he says, I will have compassion on them and bring them back. He says, I will whistle for them. That image of a shepherd whistling for his sheep and gather them in. It's, it's the image of a shepherd going after pursuing his lost and wandering sheep to bring them back. It's an image, again, we could find in Ezekiel 34. In verses 11 and 12, it says, For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself, will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep, and I will rescue them from all the places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness." Part of why God speaks of himself and his coming king as a shepherd is because a shepherd goes after his sheep. Again, I I think of that image of my dog running away. And every single time my dog has run away, my response in that instant hasn't been, all right, you chose this. Uh, I'm going to go sit on the couch. The World Cup's on right now. Uh, If you can find your way back, you come back to me. No, I instantly spring into full-bone pursuit mode, chasing after, running after, trying to capture her and bring her back safely 
home. Last week we hit on this piece that God sending his son at Christmas is his greatest act of war against our enemies. But we could also say God's, God sending his son at Christmas is his greatest act of pursuit after lost and wandering sinners. And so Jesus says in Luke 19.10, the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. John Piper says, Advent is a season for cherishing and worshiping this characteristic of God. That he is a searching and saving God. That he is a God on a mission. That he is not aloof or passive or indecisive. He is never in the maintenance mode, coasting or drifting. He is sending, pursuing, searching, saving. That's the meaning of Advent. A God who pursues, who comes after, who chases down the loss. And we see that God's pursuit demonstrates his care for us. You think about even in our own lives, when we lose something, we, we demonstrate our care or how valuable that object is to us by how much we're willing to look for it, how far we're willing to go to find it. I, I think about if I lose a pen at my house, I'll look for it for a minute and then give up. But if I lose my phone in my house, or if you lose your phone in your house, you look and look and look and look until you find it because that's really important. It, it demonstrates our care, how far we're willing to go to find something. And when we step back and think about Christmas, we see a God who orchestrates all of history to send his son in pursuit of us, who moves heaven and earth, who gives up his son to chase down lost and wandering sheep like us. It forever demonstrates God's care for us, but it also demonstrates God's love for the lost. lost. The, the Christmas story is a reminder to us that God cares about lost people, that he moved heaven and earth to save lost people like us, and that he's continuing to move and work to go after lost people and save them. Christmas is not simply a time for us to drink coffee, sit on a couch, and enjoy all the good traditions, although that's part of it. Christmas is a reminder for us that we have a God who is on a mission, pursuing, seeking, saving, going after the lost, and he wants to use us as part of that mission to gather in more people into his flock. The shepherd king will pursue his people. It also, we also see in this passage the shepherd king will provide for his people. Well, one of the primary jobs of a shepherd is to provide for his sheep, to take care of them, to meet their physical needs, to, to strengthen them, support them. And one of the amazing truths about God is that he provides for his people, for you and I in Christ, like a shepherd who provides for his sheep. In verse 1, we, we find God meeting his physical needs by promising to give them rain. And then in verse 4 and on throughout the passage, we, we find God promising to support and strengthen his people throughout this life. In verse 4, we, we see him speaking about a ruler who will come from the house of Judah. And he says about him, he will be like a cornerstone, a tent peg, and a battle bow. We talked about that battle imagery last week, and you can see it again in this passage. 
But what about the idea of a cornerstone and a, and a tent peg? What does that mean? Well, a, a cornerstone is, is stone that kind of strengthens a building, holds it together. And same with a tent peg. It could be used in that way, or a tent peg might be nailed into a wall and be something that you hang objects from in order for it to support them and hold them up. It's this image of the fact that this coming king will strengthen and support and hold his people up. God's shepherd king is the one whom we hang all our hopes, all our fears, all our burdens, all our cares on, and trust him to provide and care for us. And he promises that he will provide and care for his flock. Why? Well, because he says in verse 4, we are his flock. And then in verse 6, that he has compassion on his people. See, God's care for his people, for us, is not rooted in our merit or our intrinsic worth, but it's rooted in his choice and his character. It's in the fact that he's chosen people to be his and that his character is to be a God of compassion and care who provides for his people. That's really, really good news because otherwise we are incredibly hopeless. If God's care is based on our merit, on us behaving well enough, doing enough for him, then we're, we're hopeless. But if God's care is rooted in his character and his choice of us, then he will provide for us and care for us because he's promised to. See, cr- Christmas, I think, is this a reminder that we have an incredibly generous God. I, I don't think that we can be reminded of that too often. That we have a God who is lavishly, incredibly, abundantly generous in caring for his people. That there's this uptick of giving and generosity around Christmas. So I was wondering, why is that? Uh, maybe in part because of tax reasons, of we're coming to the end of a tax year, and so kind of tax-deductible giving. But I think it's also because we recognize at Christmas there's this idea of giving and being generous and, and taking care of other people's needs or seeking to meet other people's needs. Two Tuesdays ago uh, was Giving Tuesday. It's this day that's kind of been gaining steam since 2012. Uh, I'm going to guess that you got multiple emails in your inbox that day asking if you would be willing to give to some organization. I saw someone post something that I thought was pretty funny. They said, not trying to brag, but on Giving Tuesday, there were a lot of ministry CEOs who reached out to me personally by email. I mean, a lot. You probably got some of those in your inbox, right? On Giving Tuesday in the United States alone, there was $3.1 billion given towards charities and charitable causes. $3.1 billion. That's a ton of money. That is nothing compared to what God gives at Christmas. God gives up his only loved, precious son for rebels. $3.1 billion is like pennies compared to that. We have an incredibly, abundantly generous God. And Christmas reminds us God was willing to pay an infinitely high price to purchase us, to save us. I think one of the reasons that we continue today to get so worried and fearful and anxious is because we wonder, will God provide for me today? We provide for me tomorrow? 
Will he care for me next week? And one of the ways that we can celebrate Christmas is to look back and to say, okay, if God gave up his son 2,000 years ago to rescue us, then surely he's going to continue to take care of us today and tomorrow and the next days. Like this is what some of God's incredible promises in the Bible are rooted in. They're rooted in Christ and his coming. I think about Philippians 4.19. I came across this promise again recently, and I think it's so incredible when we stop and reflect on it. Where God, Paul says, And my God will supply every need of yours. Right? Some, a few, most, no, every need of yours. What? According to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. That's an incredible promise. Like, what, what do we need today to follow Christ, to love other people, to live for God? God says, I'll supply that. Ask me for it. I'll supply it. And, and this promise, this foundation, we can see then in Romans 8.34, where Paul says, he who did not spare his own son. He who didn't hold back his own son. He who didn't withhold. He, he who didn't spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? The, the generosity of God displayed at Christmas is both a reason to trust him today and to keep calling out to him day by day by day to meet our needs, take care of us, and strengthen and support us. doesn't mean life's going to be easy. doesn't mean that he'll give us everything we want, but that he will provide what we need. We find God not only speaking of pursuing his people as a shepherd and providing for them as a shepherd, but also of preserving and protecting them as a shepherd. The shepherd king will preserve and protect his people. Verses 8 through 12 speak of God rescuing his people. And, and they call to mind the exodus. God bringing his people out of Egypt through the wilderness and then into, into the promised land. And they also call to mind the exile, God scattering his people and then bringing them back home after the exile. What's interesting is Zechariah is talking to people who've already come home from the exile. It's as if he's using past events of God's saving work to portray God's future salvation of his people. And in verse 11 of this chapter, we see, he shall pass through the sea of troubles and strike down the waves of the sea and all the depths of the Nile shall be dried up. The, the image we get here is not just of God rescuing his people, but of preserving them through difficulty and affliction and trial. Going through the sea, going through the river, going through the wilderness. I think this is such an important thing for us to see when we talk about Jesus as our good shepherd because we're prone to think, or at least I'll speak for myself, I'm prone to think Jesus should demonstrate his care for me by keeping me from affliction and difficulty. Right? That he should demonstrate his care by keeping me from, keeping those things out of my life, not bringing them into my life. And then I can start to think, well, if Jesus was a good shepherd he would keep me from facing something like this in my life, right? He would keep us from facing certain afflictions in our life if he were a good shepherd. Like, like a longing that goes unfulfilled year after year after year. 
like a job that, that is painful and unfulfilling, like a relationship that is so, so difficult and wears on us, like suffering, like a child that's incredibly difficult to parent at times, like the loss of loved ones and many other things. I mean, we can start to look at affliction and difficulty and think that this proves Jesus doesn't really care for me. He's not a good shepherd. He's just an average shepherd, an okay shepherd. This is the lie that Satan wants us to believe when we face affliction because it's exactly that. It's a full-blown, big, fat lie. God does not demonstrate his care in keeping us from affliction, but in keeping us through affliction. He demonstrates his care not in keeping us from difficulty and trials and struggles, but in keeping us through them. A, A good shepherd may lead his sheep through dark valleys and dry land in order to reach better pasture. And what demonstrates his care for the sheep is not whether he keeps them from those difficult lands, but whether he keeps them through those lands. Think about just even what we read when we read Psalm 23. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I think sometimes we miss. What in the world are the sheep doing in the valley of the shadow of death? They're there because the shepherd has led them there. And yet their comfort in the midst of it is, my shepherd will be with me and lead me through the deepest, darkest valley. I think even about a a verse that we often quote for comfort, Isaiah 43, 2 through 3. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine when you pass through the waters. Not if, when you pass through the waters. I will be with you, and through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. Let me think of it this way. A a good pilot is not a pilot ultimately who keeps his passengers from facing turbulence. A good pilot is a pilot who flies his passengers safely through turbulence. A a good captain is not a captain who necessarily keeps the people on his ship from rough waters. A good captain carries his people through rough waters and doesn't abandon ship. And a good shepherd is not a shepherd who keeps his sheep from affliction and difficulty, but one who leads them, carries them, and is with them every step of the way through affliction and difficulty. And so Jesus can say in John 10, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. God's past preservation should provide comfort for us today. As we look back at Christmas and and even beyond Christmas and see God preserving his people through the wilderness, through the exile, preserving his own son through life and death itself, it should provide comfort for us today. Because I, I don't know about you, but there are days where I wake up and I think, I don't know that I can make it through what I've got to face today. Or I don't know that I can make it through what I've got coming later this week. 
Like, I, I don't know. I feel weak. I feel vulnerable. I don't know that I can keep going and make it. And one of the incredible parts of Christmas is we can look back and see God preserving his people over and over and over and over again and say, okay, if he carried his people through the wilderness, if he carried his son through death itself, then he will preserve me through his son because he's the same good shepherd that I read about in scripture today to me and to you. And our shepherd Jesus is most suited to do this because he himself walked through afflictions and death for us. The shepherd king is rejected by his people and dies. This is one of the most shocking parts of Zechariah 9 through 14 as you read through it. If you read through the whole thing in one sitting, you see God talking about this coming king, and yet there's this aspect of which it says kind of over and over again pointing to this king's going to die. This king that God is sending, this king is going to die and be rejected. In Zechariah 11, He's told to act out this kind of symbolic action where he's a shepherd for the people. And the symbolic action ultimately ends with the people rejecting him and paying him 30 pieces of silver, which is almost like an insult. It's kind of like tipping your waiter or waitress 25 cents. It's like an insult in many ways. Rejecting him as their shepherd, pushing them away. And it's this symbolic action of the fact that though God has pursued and provided for and preserved his people over and over and over again, they've rejected him over and over and over again. And it's also this symbolic action of as the king comes to rescue his sheep, the sheep are ultimately going to reject him and put him to death. Zechariah 13, 7, then goes on to say, Awake, O sword, against my shepherd and against the man who stands next to me, declares the Lord of hosts. This is one of the great wonders of Christmas, I think, when we stop and think about it. Jesus came into this world knowing full well he would be rejected every step of the way. Jesus came into this world knowing full well his coming would end in his death. One of my favorite pictures of Jesus in the Gospels is found in Mark 10. And it's kind of a popular story that you might know where they're walking along the road to Jerusalem and the disciples start arguing about like who the best disciple is, right? Who's the greatest? Who's going to do the most stuff for Jesus? Who's going to have the place of honor? And Jesus stops them and he says, oh, if you want to be great, then you should serve others. Because the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. One of my favorite parts of that story is how it starts. Because in Mark 10:32, here's what we read. And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, heading to Jerusalem, where Jesus knows he's going to die, walking on the road. And Jesus was walking ahead of them. And it says the disciples were amazed as they saw him walking ahead. Like Jesus is walking towards his death. And rather than lurking behind, rather than kind of staying in the back, he's walking ahead, leading the way every step of the way. I think it's this incredible image of not only what he does on the road to Jerusalem, but what he does throughout all history. Walking bit by bit, knowing that he's going to come into this world and ultimately die for people to rescue them. Knowing that he's going to be rejected, and yet he came anyway. Why? both to glorify the Father and because of his great care for his people. And so Jesus says in John 10.10, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. 
Jesus came not just to pursue and provide for and preserve and protect his sheep. He came to die for his people, to rescue them, secure them, and assure them of God's care forever. Because Jesus coming at Christmas assures us that all of God's wills or all of God's I wills can be trusted. If you read back over Zechariah 10, 6 through 12, you'll see this phrase repeated again and again. It's God saying over and over again, I will, I will, I will, I will. That's one of the best two words in the Bible. Maybe right next to but God. That when we see it, we should underline it, highlight it, whatever it might be, because it's most often associated with what God is promising to do for his people. What he's going to do for them. How he's going to take care of them. Mark Dever says this. He says, the message of Zechariah is what God will do for his people so that he might rule and reign over them and they might joyfully hope and live under his rule and reign. That, that's the message of Christmas as well. It's the story of what God has done so that he might rule and reign over us and we might joyfully live under his reign as our leader and our shepherd. And we can just think as we look back at Christmas. He will provide for me today because he's already provided what was most precious to me, his son. He will pursue me as we wander and get lost because he's already pursued us when we were lost and hopeless in sending his son. He will preserve us through all affliction and difficulty because he's already purchased us with his death. He will bring us safely home to live with him forever because he left his home in heaven to come and rescue us. God's past care for us in Christ gives us confidence to lean on his promises today and trust him. That we can see the shepherd king who was rejected and who died in our place and today trust him, love him, and obey him because he know, we know he cares for us deeply. Let's pray. Jesus, we worship you. We worship you as the one who pursued us, the one who gave up your very life for us, the one who promises to preserve and protect us through everything that comes our way in this life. So often it, it is hard for us to trust you and to know deep down that you care for us, but I pray that one of the things that we would remember as we celebrate Christmas is just how great your care and love for us is. And that might enable us to trust you today and tomorrow and the next day. We pray this in your name. Amen.